today's passage deals with a couple of quotes from the Old Testament. And, and we're in the same vein of argument now that we've been in. This is the third week we've been dealing with the same kind of subject. Paul uses these texts from the Old Testament to establish the error of the Jews. They've abused the law of God. They've turned it into a works-based system of salvation when the law was intended to bring them to faith. And so we're in the middle of that discussion. We're going to pick up at Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 5. We'll read four verses of Scripture, and that's where we'll stop this morning. Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 8, and it says this. For Moses described the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, saying, Say not in thine heart who shall ascend unto heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ again from the dead, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Amen. So Moses described the righteousness which is of the law, that the man that does those things shall live by them. Paul, in verse 5, is quoting from Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 5. It's, it's almost a direct quote. I asked this to go ahead and throw Leviticus 18 and 5 on the screen. It says, Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. So Moses, Paul said in that verse, described the righteousness that comes by the law. If a man keeps the law, he will live. Now, at first glance, that seems an odd use of the words of Moses in the context of the discussion we've been having for several weeks now. We, we've been arguing that no one was ever saved by works. There was never uh, a system of salvation in the history of salvation where a man could be saved from his sins on the basis of his own works. In every generation, salvation has come from faith in God. It's come from by, by the grace of God through faith. Salvation for the entire human race, regardless of the period of history in which an individual lived. Salvation for all of mankind depends on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that could save a man from his sins. The kind of faith that saves us is expressed by obedience to the Word of God. And so what Moses is saying is not that they're saved by their works. They're saved by their obedience to the Word of God. The Old Testament saints to whom Moses' words were addressed, they're saved by their faith in God, not by their righteous works. Their efforts to fulfill the law in the proper manner by faith, instead of uh, through self-righteousness. That was the thing that would save them. If a man kept the law through faith, put his faith in God, he would inherit eternal life. 
Now, the reason this scripture comes up and the reason why Paul is quoting it is that the Jews have wrongly interpreted what Moses was saying. They have stripped the entire process of faith in God and replaced it with faith in themselves. They've interpreted Moses' words as saying that if they could keep the full letter of the law, if they could keep the statutes, and if they could keep the judgments, then they would become righteous and inherit eternal life. And this quote from Moses, this text, became one of the cornerstone defenses of their system of righteousness by works, which is exactly why Paul brings it up, why he introduces it into this discussion. The Jews have misunderstood the righteousness of the law. It's true. A man could obtain righteousness under the law of the Old Testament, but it was never accomplished by works. It was always accomplished by faith. This is our third week of saying the same thing over and over. It's been repeatedly emphasized. Not everyone who lived under the Old Testament law was lost. Amen? Not everyone who all they had for salvation was the law. Not everybody under that system made it into a works-based system of righteousness by the law or righteousness by works. There were those in Jewish history who were saved by their faith-filled obedience to the Word of God. They kept the law to the best of their ability, particularly the sin sacrifices. They offered a lamb whenever they failed God, whenever they, whenever they failed to keep the law in its entirety. They, they, they upheld the letter of the law which said you go and you bring a lamb and you offer as a sacrifice, a trespass offering, a, a sin offering. You bring those things uh, into the presence of God and that blood of that lamb. Now that blood of that lamb doesn't have the ability to remit sins, but the faith in God connects the blood of that lamb to the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, and that blood has the ability to remit sins. Uh, amen. You can't get from the blood of a lamb to the blood of Jesus Christ without faith. Without faith, you, you, I said last week, you divorce the system from the cross. You, you get the, the works of the law separated from the cross. Without, without the cross, the law doesn't have any meaning. And so Paul is plain that works could not save. However, he's equally plain that there was righteousness or right standing with God that could be obtained under the law. That righteousness was based on faith, not on works. Faith, however, does not exist without obedience. Therefore, those who placed their faith in God obeyed the word of God that was given to them for their salvation. When they failed, they got a lamb, and they put it on an altar, and they offered it for their sins. And their obedience, faithful obedience, is what connected them to the cross, not their works. Amen? Now, the reason we bring that up is it, it solidifies the whole question that Paul is trying to answer here. And, and if you think about it for a minute, consider the rich young ruler who came to Jesus seeking eternal life. The only way to understand the answer that Jesus gave him is within this paradigm. 
Amen. That it's not works that saved in the law, but it's faith that saved in the law. The, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, how can I inherit eternal life? You remember the story of Mark chapter 10. And Jesus said to the rich young ruler, keep the law, the, the commandments. He started naming them off. You know, keep, keep the commandments, do the law. Obey the law. Do, do the thing that you've been taught to do. He was not telling the young man, you be saved by your works. He was telling the young man that if you, if you, if you did this right, if you follow the law right, it will lead you where you need to be. There's a righteousness that can be obtained there. He was telling him to live for God. And living for God requires faith in God. And faith in God results in obedience to God. The key to eternal life is faith. And faith always brings obedience. So the young man says back to Jesus, but I've kept the law. And he's the one that I said Jesus named him, but he didn't. The young man named him. He started naming the laws. I've done this one. I've done this one. Going down the checklist. I kept the laws. From a youth, from a young man, I've done everything that was required of me by the law. I've fulfilled everything that I have been told that I had to do. I've lived by the letter of the law. But there's still an emptiness in my soul. I still recognize I don't have what I need. There's still a hunger in me for eternal life. I sense that there's something that is missing in my life. I've fulfilled the law but it's it's hollow and it's empty so jesus challenges him to exercise his faith one thing you lack jesus says go sell everything you have remember this is a rich young man go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven now what's that all about Surely Jesus isn't saying you can't have money and be saved. Surely he isn't saying that you can't have security in this world and, and, and be saved. Surely he's not telling the young man the only way to get to heaven is by your words. Go sell everything that you have and you'll, you'll be guaranteed eternal life. What Jesus is doing is pointing out the flaw in his obedience to the law. Jesus is asking the young man to obey him out of faith he's asking the young man to exercise faith the problem is simple if you'll let go of what you have you'll gain what you do not have if you'll let if you'll forsake what you can see you'll gain what only God can see but it takes faith to do that that's what's missing In his law keeping, the young man in all of his keeping of the law has fallen short of eternal life. He's kept the law, but he does not have a relationship with the lawgiver. He's lived out a system of salvation by works, and he's discovered that it is empty. So Jesus invites him to discover the true righteousness that comes from the law. A righteousness that's activated not by law keeping, but by faith. So Jesus says, if you'll let go of your faith in yourself and trust me, you'll find eternal life. 
If you quit, the problem with your law keeping isn't the acts that you're doing. It's not the work that you're involved in. The problem with your law keeping is your faith is in yourself. It's not in God. And, and to bring that into sharp relief, to make it uh, apparent to the young man, he, he asked him to do that which seems impossible to do because if he's going to do that, he has to trust God. That faithful act of obedience. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. What he's going to find is that relationship with the lawgiver that he's been missing all along. What he's going to find is that eternal life that's not present in all of his law-keeping by placing his faith in the words of Jesus and obeying Jesus. You see, faith takes obedience. It's not enough to say, I believe that you're a great master and teacher. Please tell me, how can I obtain eternal life? Jesus says, go and do something difficult and trust that I'm going to take care of you. Job can lose all of his kids and all of his wealth and all of everything that he had, and, and God can put it all right back in just a very short period of time. A rich young, young, young man that's going to serve God can go and sell everything that he has and give it to the poor, and God can provide for him. But it takes faith to do that, and he doesn't have the faith to do it. And so what Jesus has done is pointed, this is why Eternal life has evaded you your whole life. This is why a relationship with God has evaded you your whole life. It's not because you're not keeping the law good enough. It's because the way you're keeping the law, the reason you're keeping the law is wrong. You're not doing it in faith. Of course, you know it was too much for the young man. The price was too high because he, he lacked faith, which is really a shame because if you measured all the riches of the entire world and placed them against the riches of heaven, the scale would never be anywhere close to balance. God's provision would always outweigh man's provision. The young man with all of his money and all of his wealth and all of his holdings could have never done as much for himself as God could have done for him if he had put his faith in God. But it takes faith. It takes faith to trust in God's provision over your own. It takes faith to walk away from everything you have. It takes faith to surrender your life to God. The rich young ruler was the nation of Israel in microcosm. He trusted himself over God. That means in miniature. Amen. He was the little example of the big problem. He trusted in himself Instead of God, as a result, he failed to grab a hold of the gift of eternal life when it was offered to him. Jesus said, here it is. Come, follow me. He missed it altogether. So from there, Paul goes into verse 6. I'm going to do 6 and 7 together. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, saying, I'm sorry, I keep interjecting that word saying, and it's not in the text. The righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. Now, let me explain with these two verses and the next verse. The last verse we'll do, verse 8, are this is all a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 30, 
verses 11 through 16. We're going to read through that together in just a minute. But if you look at what's on the screen right now, where you see the parentheses, it's a quote with commentary. And the parentheses are, are Paul's commentary. He's, this is Paul's explanation or application of Deuteronomy 30 and 11. So he's quoting from Deuteronomy uh, 30 and actually 12 and 13 and down through there. And then he's given some commentary on what it means. So let's read the text that he's quoting from. Deuteronomy chapter 30. I'm going to start in verse 11. It says, For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it. Notice the emphasis on not just hearing it, but doing it. And then verse 13, Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it, and again, that we may do it. And then verse 14, but the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. You've got the word and you can do it. Verse 15, see I have set before thee on this day life and good and death and evil. There's life there, there's good there, or there's death there, and there's evil there. It all depends on what you do and what you have. You've got this word that's been given to you. You're supposed to hear it and do it. And then verse 16, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and establish statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. So there's an emphasis there on obedience. And and the point that, 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 that is being made in the Old Testament passage is that the man does not have to search for the word of God in, a, in order to inherit eternal life, in order to uh, uh, find the grace and the blessings of God. It's already been given to him. This is the problem. The rich young ruler... And the Jews at large have turned the pursuit of eternal life into a search for that which was not hidden. They've turned it into an epic quest for something that is not concealed. The word that brings life was not hidden away in heaven somewhere. It was not hidden away in the depths of the sea somewhere. It didn't take a lifelong quest to find how you please God and how you serve God. The word was plainly available to them. It was readily available. The rich young ruler had everything he needed to enter into a relationship with God. It was all there. They didn't miss the mark because they didn't have the right word. They missed the mark because they didn't obey the word that they had. The passage emphasizes the fact that the Jews have the word. It's been given to them. And now all they've got to do is obey it. If they'll walk in his ways, if they'll keep his commandments, if they'll follow after him, they will inherit eternal life. But instead... They determined to walk in their own ways, according to their own knowledge, based on their own self-reliance. And Paul demonstrates this to the Jews by applying this passage to Jesus Christ. Bring me back to verse 6. What he says is, Jesus is like the Word. He's not far off. The Word's not far off, neither is Jesus. We, we don't have to go to Christ or go to heaven to get, to get Christ and bring him down. We don't have to go up into heaven and bring down the revelation. Listen, the incarnation's already happened. They're still looking for the Messiah, and he's already come. They're still on this search for the one that's going to save them. 
and he's already come. It's just like the word of the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Verse 14 says, and he was made flesh and dwelt among us. He is that word, and that word is not distant. It's not afar off. It's not somewhere you've got to go searching for and got to go looking for it. That the, the, the righteousness of faith says that we, we don't have to go to heaven and go look and find what it is that God has given to us for salvation. He's already come. The, the, the incarnation has already happened. The next verse, he goes on and applies that next passage. We don't have to go except where the Old Testament said to the deep depths of the sea. Paul relates it to the death of depths of the grave. We don't have to descend to the de- deep or go down in the grave and get him and bring him back again. He's already been resurrected. He's already risen from the grave. We already have that revelation of who Jesus is. We already have that revelation of who the Messiah is. What the, the point point is this, the Jews have rejected the entire intended purpose of the law, and because of that, they've completely missed the Messiah. They've completely missed Jesus. They've turned the law into a quest for self-righteousness, and they're never able to find the answer that they are so diligently seeking. The Word was always with them. They always had it, but they were always searching for righteousness in themselves instead of in God. They were looking in the wrong place. And because of that, and I said this last week, because of that, they missed the Messiah. You see, the lens through which they were supposed to see Him They got it distorted. That's why Jesus would say to them, search the scriptures. They testify of me. If you had gotten the law right, you'd have seen me. You'd have understood who I was. If you just grasped the reality of the word that you had, and that's what Paul is saying. We, we don't have to go dig it up somewhere. We don't have to go search it out. He's already come. He's already here. He's already risen from the grave. You're searching in all the wrong places for the righteousness of the law. You're searching in all the wrong places for the Messiah. You're searching for all that stuff that is, uh, is based in self-righteousness. But Jesus has already come. And he's already given you everything that you need. To obtain righteousness from faith through him. Amen. Verse 8 goes on. This is still quoting from the same passage. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. So still quoting from the same passage, Paul drives home his point. The word of God was never distant. It was never a hard thing to find. The rich young ruler was on a quest searching for that which was plainly evident. And the reason that Jesus made such an extreme request of him was to bring his need for faith into focus. Jesus was trying to point out the one major shortcoming that he had was the one thing that makes everything else work. He didn't have faith in God. The Jews at large were the same way. That's why I say the, the rich young ruler is the, the Jewish nation in miniature, in microcosm, in one individual. The Jews had the same problem. They were on a quest for righteousness. 
but they missed the fact that the key to righteousness was plainly evident. It didn't take superhuman abilities to obtain righteousness through the law. You didn't have to come a, a, a super pious individual who never made a mistake to obtain righteousness under the law. There's a reason why God put in a, a sacrificial system there. There's a reason why God put a place for trespass offerings and, and sin offerings. They missed that just like they missed the Messiah. They were looking for a king, not a common man. They were on a quest for majesty and glory, not humility and compassion. They were watching for an entourage of angels, not 12 ordinary disciples. They were looking for anything but that plain-spoken, unassuming man from the shores of Galilee. They said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? They were looking for anything but him. And they missed it because it was too plain. It's too simple. It's right there all along. The word was never far off. It was never some mysterious thing they needed to go dig out. It was right there. God gave it to them. And there's Jesus Christ in your face, as real as can be. And they can't see him. Because the paradigm that they're looking through, the lens that they're looking through is, is twisted and messed up and distorted. Because they've got the law all wrong. They've got it all focused on self instead of on God. So Paul said the word was with you all along. It was near you. It was near to all of us. He said it was even in your mouth. It was in your heart. The one thing that you were searching for so diligently was the one thing that you already had. Then he takes a step further and said the word that brings life is the word of faith. That's the key. It's faith. It's the word of faith. And he says we preach faith too. That's what we preach. The Jews were looking for another way to please God. They were looking for something that was situated in self. The rich young ruler walks away disappointed because he can't bring himself to do what was required of him. And all that God was ever looking for was faith. Faithful obedience to the word of God. And so to the Jews, Paul was saying, it's not that you've done things, the wrong things, when you followed the law, it's that you were doing them for all the wrong reasons. While you were establishing your own righteousness, God was calling you to be clothed in his righteousness. While you were establishing your salvation based on your own words, God was calling you to believe in his ability to save you. And that's the same message that Paul and the church were preaching and the church is still preaching to this day. They're not preaching obedience to the law. We preach obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? But it's the same message of faith that it was then. You've got to trust God. You see, the, the, the law is... Has been, has been done away with. Jesus fulfilled that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what we preach, but we're still asking for faith. It took faith to find righteousness in the law. And it'll take faith 
for the rich young ruler to sell everything that he has and follow Jesus. And it'll take faith for you and me to repent of our sins, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins and to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That takes faith. The message hasn't changed. Sell everything you have. Take up your cross and follow me. Put your faith in God and you'll inherit eternal life because faith always results in obedience to the word of God. The Jews were wrong to interpret the words of Moses as a legalistic promise of righteousness that anyone who could maintain a standard of perfection in regards to the law would earn eternal life. They missed the point entirely. The point of the law was not perfection under the law. The point of the law was faith in God. The law was designed to drive them to faith. The sin and trespass offerings of the Old Testament relied on the grace and the mercy of God that was activated by faithful obedience. That's what tied the law to the cross. That's what brought it all together. And God promised through Moses that he would have fellowship with and provide salvation for eternal life for those who would obey his word out of faith in him and who would by that same faith turn to him in repentance when they violated his word. That's the message we preach. That's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's not calling you to a formulaic approach to salvation. He's not calling you to live life by a rule book where you check off all the necessary steps and you can produce the evidence that you've earned salvation. He's calling you to a life of faithful obedience to Him, to obey Him, to obey His Word, to follow Him, to yield to Him, to allow His grace to work in your life. Don't overcomplicate it. Salvation is about faith in Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. And if you truly believe that, then your faith will compel you to bring your sins to an altar of repentance and repent of your sins. That's obedience to the Word of God. You can say, I believe that He died for me all day long, but until I visit an altar and die with Him, I'm not really actively believing that because my, the Bible tells me that's what I have to do. Amen? It's, it's Jesus Christ. He didn't just die for my sin. He was buried to borrowed tomb. And Paul said that in baptism, we're buried with him or we're baptized into Jesus Christ. Faith compels me to obey the instruction given in Scripture and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, to be baptized with him, to be baptized into him. That's not a work of my flesh. That's an act of faith. It takes faith to activate it. Listen, you go get in that baptistry and get wet all you want to, but until you put your faith in the fact that the name of Jesus washes away sin, you ain't done nothing but took a bath with your clothes on. Amen? It's faith that activates it. It takes faith. It takes faith to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You know why some people struggle? They, they don't have a problem with an altar of repentance. They don't have a problem with getting in the baptistry tank and getting baptized. But it seems like it takes forever for them to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost because it takes faith. You can, you can make up your mind. You can will yourself into obedience, but you can't will yourself into speaking in tongues. 
It takes faith to connect with God. It takes faith to let that flow into your life. It takes faith to let God to say, I'm going to let go and let God take over and let him be in control. Amen. It doesn't make sense. You can't reason it out in your mind. Guess what? It doesn't make sense that the water in that tank can wash away my sins either. I've got to put my faith in the name of Jesus. And I've got to put my faith in the fact that he'll fill me with his spirit. That takes faith. And so it's faith that compels me to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, to repent of my sins, be baptized in his name, and to be filled with the Holy Ghost. But i got to tell you the truth. It doesn't stop there. That's not the end of the road. That's not where you can finally put the final check on the checklist and say, there, I'm done. I got it made. Faith compels you. To continue to walk with God. Faith compels you to continue to yield to Him. To allow Him to work in your life. It's a life of faith that transforms your life. Until as the scripture said it. Christ is formed in you. Think about that for a minute. That Jesus Christ would be formed in you. His mind becomes your mind. His nature becomes your nature. And your very life is transformed. By faithfully following him. That's the message that the church preached in the first century. That's the message that the church still preaches today. From the beginning of the word until the end of the word. From Genesis to Revelation, God has been calling men to put their faith in him and obey his word. He counted Abraham as righteous. Why? Because while he was in Ur of Chaldea, he said, come out from among them and follow me. And Abraham followed God. He obeyed God before he was ever circumcised, before he was ever that, that covenant that we, we hold so high was ever put in place it was counted to him as righteousness because he obeyed God that's what it takes is obedience to God the law was just a shadow the gospel is the substance of eternal life and the object of faith in both testaments is the same the object of faith is God. I believe that he can and I believe that he will. And the result of faith is the same too. It's obedience. This is where much of the church world has messed up. They divorce the two, faith and obedience. You can't separate them. Obedience is a property of faith. You can't separate them. Faith in God will always result in obedience. I said this last week, Romans chapter 1 and verse 5 contains a, a Greek construct that brings that into very sharp focus. Obedience springs from faith. It, it, it is the product of faith. It, 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 is, it is a part of the characteristic of faith. You can't separate that. Just like there's not a lie in truth. You can't have truth and have a lie in it. It's, it's truth or it's not. There's, there's no such thing as faith that doesn't have obedience. It doesn't exist. James said faith without works is dead. doesn't have any ability to accomplish anything. And so faith requires obedience to the word of God. That's what causes you to find eternal life. Salvation in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus. Filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and live a life of faith.
walking with him. Does that mean you can never make a mistake? No, my friend. You have an advocate with the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ, the righteous. It means when you make a mistake, you faithfully obey the word of God and you put your life on an altar somewhere and you repent. Amen? It's one of the devil's biggest tactics to say, well, you messed up and you can't get right now. You done blown it. It's like it's one and done. That's not the truth. Never was the truth. The truth is we live for God. And we have to live for God out of faith. Would you stand with me? Brother Ryan, if you'd come to the music.